Hello. Welcome to the RA Exchange. My name is Chloe Lula, and I'm the producer of the show. Today, I'll only briefly introduce this episode, which is a special partnership with the UK organization Black Minds Matter. We typically release about three or four episodes per year in conjunction with the organization, and this first installment of 2023 was conceptualized and hosted by frequent RA Exchange interviewer Vanessa Maria. Her most recent appearance on The Exchange was back in February and a great one-on-one interview with I. Jordan. You will hear part of two conversations, the first with pioneering UK DJ Cherie C, and the second with the multi-talented garage artist Conducta. Thanks so much for tuning in. Without further ado, here's Vanessa. You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Vanessa Maria, and thank you for being here with us today. On this edition of the podcast, Resident Advisors' partnership with Black Minds Matter continues. Black Minds Matter is a charity on a mission to connect black individuals and families with free mental health services by professional black therapists. There are links in the description of the podcast if you're able to help with donations. In this RA documentary, we'll be exploring the loneliness of DJing, the reality of touring and how to navigate being on the road alone. I speak to Cerise and Conductor about all the different ways they experience loneliness from the trap of success to the difficulties of navigating the music business. Sit back and relax and be prepared for some truly eye-opening conversations. Being a black person, having that black experience, which is unique to, I guess, black people. And I know that Conductor was talking about that being quite difficult, especially when traveling and touring in Europe. But I know that you spend a lot of time in South Africa. Um, How have you ever experienced that disconnect? It's interesting because when I have a lot of conversations around representation within DJing, there's a lot of things that I, I personally have been very fortunate to not have had to experience because of the way that I came into DJing. And when I came into DJing in 2017, First of all, the person that really helped me with that kind of transition into becoming a DJ, learning about it, introducing me to the industry was a woman. Her name's Lauren Platt. And she had been running a night called Work It for nine years at that time and then ended it about a decade. And she's also uh, a DJ. And it also kind of really brought up a lot of DJs like Siobhan Bell, Kushida, River, Born and Bred at the time were playing. And then there was Misha that was doing PDA. So there were so many people that I kind of was seeing that really kind of reflected me. And they were creating, they were running their own nights. Like Born and Bred were doing their own parties. Misha, PDA were doing their own parties, really creating a space for queer people. Work It was its own night and they were choosing the DJs. And so like my first DJ gig outside of, so Lauren helped us to do our own events. And so my first DJ gig was our own party that we did with me and a group of friends of mine. Then my first DJ gig outside of that was for Work It. So I was already like immersed and came into it with a sense of community, which I was really fortunate for. And all the places that I started off playing, I was being booked by people within that community. They were the first people that knew that I was DJing. That's kind of how it became a thing. Okay, Sharice plays, Sharice does this thing. And eventually it became a thing that like, I guess more people, audiences that were growing beyond this community. But I started there. So that's been something that was always very grounded for me. And then it meant that in everything that I've done, I've always endeavoured to create that and have been able to create that for others, with others and started really getting into doing nights and then even with things like radio or working with No Signal. 
I've always entered within some form of like community. That's the way that I kind of understood it from the beginning because that's how I was introduced to it. So it meant that with the audience I was playing, a lot of the people that I was playing with and for were people that reflected me um, and really kind of like resemble my ethoses, like our values, like we are creating these spaces because we need these spaces. We want these spaces. We want to play the music that we love. We want to hear music that like takes us back to home. That So that's literally why all of these spaces existed. Work, it was very much about creating a space for women to play. It was very women heavy um, and not in a way that was uh, like explicitly political. It just was like we want to play music and so we're going to play it and be in this space. When my kind of peak started to happen as a DJ, I became more and more known for I'm a piano. When I first started, it was open format. So I played like all the kind of different genres that I liked. Um, I'm kind of, I guess, piano's at the center of my set. So I would describe myself as a DJ that plays electronic dance music, but it's very much rooted in, in, in who I am and where I'm from and the intersections between Southern Africa, Zimbabwe and South Africa to be specific, and the UK. So I would kind of started to move away from being open format because I really kind of wanted to have something distinct. Like, what, why, why are you doing this? What's your story? What are you wanting to say with this music that you play? And so it was about my identity then came into it. Um, and kind of I started my radio show because I think growing up in the UK, there wasn't really much representation of Southern Africa as a region of Africa. So my understanding um, or experience of kind of blackness and Africanness as a black British person was always very West African or Caribbean. Mm. It wasn't really something that I felt necessarily musically as a as a void when I was going out and playing for others because I did re relate and resonate to like Afrobeats and dancehall mm. and hip hop and all of these things. There's a part of me that kind of relates to them, but there was this other little part of me that was something that I only really experienced in like friends family, church, um, kind of family, community events, stuff like that. Then my piano came in um, and it became like this huge global phenomenon over the period of lockdown, which is when my radio show and everything was happening and I was kind of trying to build this community and a hub and that sense of feeling that I'd been experiencing all along but didn't exist for this particular culture and music in this city, which is very different now two years later. And so a lot of the people that come, especially at the beginning, were specifically wanting to hear this music. And I think I'm a piano has shifted things for dance music culture because it's inherently African and in a way that everybody understands it to be. So it's like you have like hundreds, thousands of people all in a space listening to dance music and they're like black people, which we know in the UK and global dance music culture is not the case. It's not the most common thing where a lot of kind of black dance music genres have been co-opted. People don't know that they have black origins or roots like techno. And I know there's a lot of people that have done a lot of work to kind of challenge that and talk about the fact that, you know, techno music, house music, like Chicago, Detroit, and all of these kind of origins of footwork and these kind of things. Yeah, but Amma Piano came in at a time where we had all the tools to own it. So yeah, that's really been my my experience. I think I've, I'm fortunate to have always come through communities, the crux of what I'm saying. I wanted to, I wanted to really ask, like, have you noticed a difference from playing in South Africa, playing shows there mm -hmm. and playing in Europe and how that feels like with the audiences that you meet? I would say South African dance floors, like South Africa is a dance nation. Like it's a country that lives and breeds dance music in very many forms. So 
I think that is the very distinct thing that you arrive at any kind of like, it could be a deep house. Um, it could be, I'm a piano, it could be gone, but that there's this inherently, like, I think there's something that someone once said before. I can't remember who it was that said it. I think it might've been like Tolly on the receipts podcast or something. And she was saying when she came to the UK it was the first time that she realized that she was black. Mm. And she and she was saying that in the context of when you're constantly surrounded by people that reflect you, it's not really a conversation to be had. Like you just exist, you just are. Mm. That distinction is made when there's an, kind of like an othering or realizing or you're coming into a space where you're a minority. It's just normal to walk into a place. And I think that was for me the most distinct thing when I first really started partying. I think I was probably maybe like 20 at that time when I first really probably started partying in South Africa having grown up in the UK and that was the thing that stood out to me the most and I think hospitality is something that I would say is very distinct in the way that um, South African like kind of nightlife operates like there's a sense of care like when you're going to go and party somewhere there was going to be food there's going to be places to sit. There's going to be like kind of tears of the kind of things you want to drink. Like a lot of people like to buy bottles and have like a bucket. Some people like to drink Savannah, which is a cider and get like a six pack of that or something like a Bernini, which is kind of like a peach, like pink blush type of drink. Mm. So like a lot of girls like to drink that would be like an ice trapez is another one. Or there's like the Hennessy, which is obviously like known as like the I'm a piano drink. But you can get in where you fit in, basically. And, the, and there's a range of different types of spaces that you can party. So there is the clubs, but there's also your local taverns. There's like a Shisanyama. There's, it's such a vast offering where it's like music is for everybody. The quality of DJs and the quality and the standard is of the music is high everywhere. I think South African people are very, um, that's a very critical thing. Like you don't compromise on the sound. The sound is always really, really great. And the DJs will always have to be really, really great. Like if the DJ is not great, like you'll, you'll know, like it'll be felt and they'll make it known. So it means that you can literally go around the corner to your house and have a really great time and experience an incredible DJ. You can go to a huge concert and have a really, really great time and have spent, you know, not very much or spent a bit more. I'm trying to find the word to explain what that feels like to experience music in, in, in that way. I think the UK has a very strong raving culture and that's what's at the forefront dark basements small rooms sweat boxes that that that's the kind of euphoria that I feel like is most common and is understood in the way that you really get to experience dance music in the UK which is great I think there's there's a space for that but there isn't really a space for much else like I think about like day parties weren't really much of a big thing I started going to more day parties when I'm a piano became popular I also think about how like even just like the concept of like lounging like when I think of places that are like have lounges it's like Old Kent Road, Lewisham they have those kind of places where it's like a bar and lounge vibe but they're not like they have a very specific uh clientele like uh, like people that go there that probably like kind of live in the area or frequent that's that place or like an LA lounge um but that's a very kind of it's not really places where you're hearing kind of dance music in that way so yeah I just think the the offering and yeah it's very culturally broad as well those are the things that I would say as a DJ so it means when you're coming into that space like there's there's a warm welcome also as a DJ when you're playing everyone's excited to hear willing to hear new things 
Something that strikes me when you speak about your experience in like South Africa and just like your introduction to music is this like togetherness and this feeling that we're we're all working towards something in the same direction and we we mm. are supporting each other like it's it's community mm. and when you speak like I feel like wow like what is your relationship with like loneliness because that feels like there's so much support there it's it must be like different to your traditional DJ setup where you might be like touring, getting on a plane alone, coming back to the hotel alone. Like this feels like different. This feels like no, you're you're literally surrounded by the people who who love the music that you love and you're partying together, you're maybe putting on the nights together. Like it's yeah. it feels quite different. I feel like the loneliness part um maybe comes more so the music is one thing, right? But we we where it's there's an industry. We play within an industry we operate within an industry um i think that's the part where that can at times be isolating or create conflicts within oneself when you're playing the music or when you're playing it to people with or you're kind of sharing those spaces with audiences that's the most like that's the thing where i feel the most like this is why i dj this is why i do what i do but then there's the business of it and the business of it brings in money it brings in competition it brings in clout it brings in social media it brings in access it brings in gatekeepers who has the right to what who's allowed to say what who's allowed to play what who like hierarchies all of those kind of things for me are actually where I start to feel um isolated but because I've decided to do this as a career I can't separate myself from them and I just find both here and in South Africa like I think that's just a worldwide thing it's very easy, I would say in South Africa, because there's such a broad offering and music is such at the core of, of everything, there are so many incredible DJs, like, everywhere. And so you'll kind of, like, even just the idea, for example, here, the kind of bigger you get, whatever, as you grow as a DJ, there's this kind of thing of exclusivity that comes in when you're playing, right? So if I'm booked to play at this particular venue on a Saturday night, and you know they're paying me a particular fee then I can't then play another venue on the same day and be expecting that same kind of fee because they want exclusivity for this particular thing or like a particular period or whatever whereas in South Africa you can play six gigs in one night and they're like all not like in very far proximity from each other the demand is there like it's there's enough room for that demand to be fed and for each of those parties to be successful be busy like make whatever profit and money they need to make and for the DJs to kill each and every one of them. That has its pros and cons. But uh, I say that to say that it means that it's harder to break into that industry as a DJ. Like the stakes are much higher. You really have to be really good at, at what you're doing or have a very distinct kind of thing about you in the way that you're doing that thing. And it's like something where yeah, there's so many people that are, DJ culture is a very big thing in, in the country. Um, whereas like here, I think there are more kind of structures in place for your trajectory as a DJ. You, if you're playing at a community level, you get that kind of feeling that I'm describing. But when you start wanting to grow it as a career, you have to start kind of fitting into certain structures and ways that things move and trajectories of things. Those kind of things for me are the things that then I find create conflict um and conflict that can then be isolating but i found that i think for me the people that i keep around me are very important in that sense 
I keep a very close circle of friends and pe- friends that are like close friends, but it's friends that I also like to party with. And so often we'll sit and we'll vent and we'll talk about these things and are kind of very like-minded in our kind of outlook on life and the world and the way that we relate to each other as people and the respect that we have for this music and the respect we have for each other. And just for people in, in general, I think people's people are very important to me. Everything I do is very much rooted in a love and a care for people and, and music. And even Abantu, my radio show, like Abantu in Isuzulu means people. I wanted to create this space, which was always people first. When I put on parties, I'm always thinking about how I want you to feel when you enter the space. Because I, like I find some people wanting to come out and not able to go to certain places because you know, I'm going to be alone or I don't know if I'm going to fit in or I don't know if this is really a place for me, which is another thing that isolates a lot of people from dance music, feeling like they don't belong there or they don't find, won't find their tribe there. So I'm very intentional about the way that I create spaces for people and the way that I relate with people and even in the way that I play. And so I understand that I also need that for myself. I'm a very sensitive person, I'm very sensitive to my environment, very sensitive to the energies that are around me. And because of that, I'm very specific about it, which is the thing that has kind of held me and always kept me sure of who I am and what it is that I'm doing and why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I would say for me, that's that's the where loneliness comes in. I don't necessarily feel it in a sense of being alone when I'm on like tour or gigging. I'm fortunate to have like a group of friends that also like to party as much as I do. And so we kind of often go to a lot of places together. I kind of a lot of the time feel the need to step away and go into myself. I think as a DJ, we give a lot of ourselves and our energy in the performance. Yeah, so I often feel sometimes overstimulated. Like when I'm kind of when I'm there, I'm present in it and it's great and I'm feeling it and I kind of meet so many people and I'm very interactive with the people that come to my sets and kind of knows like certain people, familiar faces like, oh, I've seen your face several times now. What's your name? And then we'll get to speaking. And then because of that, most of the time when I go somewhere, there's always somebody that I know, even if it's somebody that I met because they came to see me play. Mm. If I've seen them once or twice, I'll find out who they are and then I'll know that they're going to be there. I'm going to come to your next one. Okay, cool. Message me when you're there. We'll meet up. Maybe you can come with me and we go together. So that that's actually how I've met a lot of the friends that I have. They were friends that I met out. Um, some of them I noticed that they'd come alone. And I was like, you seem like you're by yourself. Do you want to come chill with me? Come chill with me. Thanks. Like, then I'm like, yeah, next time you want to come, anytime you want to come, just let me know. And we can go together. And then we've kind of become friends that are always out together. I feel like there's so much similarity to what other people have been saying around the topic of loneliness and Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that you pulled out this idea of like being part of the music business is the point of isolation and the music business is the point of where I guess money and finances come in that's where stakes get higher and it really made me think of this idea of like where does this loneliness come from then like how do you feel about the question like does loneliness or is loneliness a consequence of a culture lacking in community yeah, I think it definitely is like a result of a culture lacking in, in community. I think about when you're saying that. So there's a book that I love called All About Love by Bell Hooks. Oh my God, that's my favourite book. She's no, honestly, book. queen, R.I.P. Yes. Um, and I remember when I started reading that, 
that was a lot of the reading I was doing around it was in the context of my personal life, but also in the context of academia. I think this conversation is is a conversation that applies in any and every industry within like a world that's kind of built on capitalism, where in, in some way it's like people become products and products become people. And even I think you've spoken about it before where it's like, but there's always a debate that happens on social media where it's like as a DJ to like, is it really about your skill anymore? Or is it about like your kind of social currency and mm. how well you're able to dress or how well you're able to post certain content or social media or this idea of like highlight reels of catching just like this peak moment burst of energy in a set. But like, what about the whole kind of hour and what was, you know, all of these kind of mm. debates that happen and how we're constantly having to adapt according to whatever the, the, the times are like, right? So maybe once upon a time, you know, mixes would have been king, like having mixes that you record on SoundCloud, radio would have been king. Now we're in an era where social media is king. But at the end of the day, at, at the core of it, like even you, I think you posted something on your TikTok that was really interesting about like ticket sales, how, what, yeah. what makes your, your ticket worth. And at the end of the day, it has to translate somehow, whatever it is that you're doing, once you decide to do it as a career, it has to translate to money. If it doesn't, then it's like that if it doesn't translate to money that's affecting your bookings which is the core of what your income is when this thing that you're doing as a job so when all these kind of other things come into play it's like you have to adapt you have to figure out how to use the social media you have to figure out how to use the tiktok you have to figure out how to use whatever the tools are in that moment that translate to the currency that is at play at that moment in time and obviously each of these things are created by companies like instagram has its own Kind, it's a business. They kind of have their own targets of how they're going to make money. That's why they're adjusting and consistently becoming more like TikTok because TikTok was doing really, really well. And so we're kind of constantly playing this kind of bat and ball of like adjusting and trying to figure out how we fit within these structures that are inherently like the whole entire model for them. They might have these kind of things like Instagram was born as a like, or Snapchat was like, so we can share what we have doing in the moment. Like, yeah, great. But if it wasn't going to make money, they weren't going to do this thing. It has to be a viable business endeavor, which is life, I guess. But I think within that, there are ways that we can prioritize care. I don't think it's prioritized enough just in society in general. And I think it's something that we, it's like a pain point for a lot of us in all aspects of our lives, like in relationships, in working culture, when people talk about like this thing of wanting to do the four day working week, you know, it's like a thing of like, actually, is this life? Like we literally like wake up early in the morning, don't have time just about fitting in anything that is to do with like caring for ourselves, go to work for eight hours only have a small amount of time to be able to eat and make dinner and try and make it a wholesome like all of these chats was like how do I fit everything and be this whole well-rounded person and that's what we're constantly fighting with all the time just go that whole thing goes beyond DJ culture it goes beyond the industry it goes beyond music it's like a much kind of like bigger thing that's just trickling down into all these other aspects of our lives and the only way that I figured out around it is to find small um, but not very small ways that I can do things on a daily basis, on a micro basis to create that space for myself, to create those like places of community, those things of care, like to just constantly combat against that thing that we're all constantly fighting with. One thing that I'm, I feel like a lot of people know me for is I'm, I'm like very much not afraid to say no. I, especially now, 
Like I just refuse to do anything that really puts me in a place where I have to be at odds with myself. And that has really helped as well um, in terms of, I realized very quickly that because I'm a very sensitive uh, person, that when I kind of go into a space or an environment that kind of takes me off course or has an effect on the way that I feel about myself, that it affects the way that I play. And I hate that feeling. I hate that feeling. And I've, I've, I've felt it enough times to be like, I'm not doing this like ever again, where I've gone into a space, something has happened that has made me feel isolated or just uncomfortable or um, outside of myself or odds with myself. And then put me in a place where now I'm going to play and I, I can't bring myself into the room. It's like there's a part of me that then taps out in that moment. Experiencing that when you're in a room full of people that your job is to kind of create this experience and guide them through this journey on the dance floor and play music that's going to keep the room going when I'm not even here right now. Horrible Awful. feeling. I hate that feeling. I'm very kind of critical in particular about like my sets and what I do. So then leaving and then feeling like I didn't give my best or I wasn't really in the room in that moment when that was happening why like what is it that made me feel like that once I identify what that feeling is if I know that this particular booking if I take that or the way that this conversation went with the way that we would negotiate this booking or whatever it is if it's not in line with that or starts to kind of resemble that I'm not doing it I'll now explain why and for me it's advocating for myself and setting a precedent for myself that if if you are interacting with me, if you are engaging with me, if you're wanting to work with me, that like the this is the way that I do this thing and these are kind of what my terms are, this is what my boundaries are also. I don't know if we talk about boundaries a lot in the context of work. I think we talk about them a lot in the context of like kind of relationships and in our interpersonal relationships, like in our personal lives. But um, there's a bit more room when you do a job that's kind of, uh, I guess, like freelance or creative or in a way where you get to choose or have a bit more kind of flexibility or freedom to decide that I can create some of these boundaries. And if these are being crossed and I'm not participating in this space, that has really offset a lot of the times those feelings of kind of loneliness and conflict within myself that I'd felt kind of early on when I was starting out as a DJ. I did want to ask, like, if you could make changes, maybe it doesn't even have to be related to, like, the music industry, but anything that you feel could benefit the individual to feel less alone, to feel more connected, what changes would you make and what would you like to see in the next maybe five years? Let's say with Emma Piano, when Emma Piano became this thing that was suddenly really, really popular, I think when it became popular it was during the lockdown. So then there was, like, this big burst of, like, parties that were born right out of lockdown as we were opening up and it was the first time that people were getting to experience this music on the dance floor and there was this e eagerness because everybody had all of these favorite artists that they'd been loving for like two years that they'd never ever been able to see live because nobody could travel any anywhere no one could fly anywhere so that created like a different level of demand because if it wasn't for um covid people would have been able to very quickly experience those artists that they were loving but there was this whole two-year period where everything was just kind of digital and so it was like this eagerness it was this kind of big burst of like everything like the first i'm a piano party of this the first time so and so has come and it was like a series of debut after debut which was so exciting like as a party goer but is very exciting for a promoter, is very exciting for anybody in business 
because that that's a very lucrative thing. Like wherever there's demand and you're able to supply it, that's great business. I had a couple issues with it at the time because when that kind of great business and focus on how this thing can benefit you as a business person, but not without any care for the people that you're wanting to book or for the culture that they are a part of, there was a, like a level of exploiting uh, people and kind of because when you think about music like I always just say like any genre is the result of a people like it's the result of a way of life it's the result of a culture it's born from somewhere it's people's like spirits it's people's identities it's people's language it's people's way of expressing themselves like it's not just a thing that just arrives and it's just like cool right or like if you think of any genre there's there's a way of life that existed that created and was communicated through the sound. The sound became a genre. It came with the dance moves. It came with all of these things that like are people's lives. And when you operate without a sense of respect and care for those people, there is inevitably then becomes like people get exploited and it becomes like a cash cow basically. So pre the kind of like global thing, um, there were very specific spaces. Like there's a party called Manati London um that was very much like for a southern african diaspora where people would go there to listen to the music that they love that but that makes them feel like home and so they were very much like communities of south africans and babuin um swati people from botswana who were all gathering to play this music eat the food from home and there were very specific places and they existed that party started in maybe like 2013 Amabiano was playing at those parties. South African house music was playing at those parties. Gom was playing at those parties. Um, but it had a very specific kind of like, like group of people, right? It was like an actual community, like a little hub. Very much something that was existing in a bubble in the periphery of the wider kind of like uh, London canon of like dance music. And then now it's like, okay, we are kind of wanting to create this kind of feeling of South Africa in London. How do we do this? And it's like, okay, we need to recruit. We need it. Like authenticity is a big thing, right? Like it's a big buzzword. It's like it has to be authentic, but not giving, like paying those people what they're worth or paying them the standard of what we know it to be in general, like dance music, right? So if you're a promoter, you know that if you're booking somebody for a particular thing, this is usually what you would pay. But it's like, actually, you don't have anywhere else to play this thing. And there isn't really a place for what you're doing. To do, like, There's no other place that does this on a big scale other than us. So you're either going to take it or leave it. If you want to grow this identity of an I'm a piano DJ in the UK, right? Because you're playing it in a place where it's not where it comes from. And it's still a growing, burgeoning thing. So I would say that. I would just say, or even when we talk about like representation identity or lineups, where like, you know, women, black people getting put on a lineup and like as if it's something you should be grateful for like it's a favor for you and then not being paid what you should be paid and having to fight for the money that you're supposed to be paid for it and it's just like oh but you're on it like that thing of like a look i hate like the idea of like it's a good look like i hate that term so much oh my god because it's just like repeat that please <laughs> the idea of it being a good look but that's such a thing for like like people playing music when it comes to like these bigger festivals and these bigger lineups that really have the ability to change your trajectory and open you up to wider audiences it's like well you've gotten a chance to play on this thing so like you're the terms are going to be not so great for you but are you going to take it or leave it it's definitely something that i would i would want to challenge i wanted to ask you for anyone listening to your story and your narrative like mm. how what advice would you have for a young person 
someone's looking up to you he's like I want to do what you're doing like yeah. any advice for the music industry navigating it tips yeah like yeah people is power and that is what allows you to be able to do things on your own terms that's where the power really is being able to do things there are a lot of things that like when we recognize how we wield that power that we are able to offset a lot of these kind of inequalities and disparities on kind of like a a day-to-day level but also build something that we have ownership over I think for me one thing about I'd say about my career I've always been okay with things moving like at a slower pace at a slower trajectory but at a trajectory um, that I can say is mine that I have ownership over that can't be pulled from under me that allows me to continue to be sure of who I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing um, and to surround myself with people that that anchor me in who I am but also enlift me and empower me in, in who I am. I would say for anyone that that is the number one thing. Like, know why you're doing what you're doing and make sure that you are consistently rooting yourself in that thing in every way that you possibly can and find ways to directly connect with those people that that are are rooted in the same place. So we were just talking about optics and social media. With social media, it can be, it's a microcosm of what's going on. Often a lot of people on social media are comparing what's going on or seeing, oh, this person's doing this, or this person's doing that. And I think for young people, they think, ah, oh, I need to be doing this, I need to be doing that. But what a lot of people don't see is they only see like the 2%, Instagram's only the 2%, you don't see the 98% of what goes into that post, what goes into that story, what goes into that success. No one sees it. You know, as we were just saying in terms of, oh, you feel as if you're kind of, you're like hitting a stalemate with everything and you're not progressing because you don't feel as if you're doing what everyone else is doing. But the likelihood is, is that everyone else that you're looking at is going for exactly the same thing, feeling exactly the same thing. Because there's no transparency and because particularly with like Instagram or social media, I feel like it becomes a shouting match of who's doing the best and who's doing the most. So everyone's trying to outshout each other, even though they know deep down they're not feeling good. So I think that's what creates a kind of, um, yeah, a bit of a head fuck because again, you're like smashing your head against a wall thinking, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that. But you're going nowhere fast, you know what I mean? This comes back to access to information and transparency. But I feel like in music, there's a lot of, there's a lot of information which one isn't coveted and um, people don't seek it out. But the reason they don't seek it out is because the people who have the information, either by choice or by ignorance, don't choose to give it out. And I feel like that's one thing that I'm trying to inspire. One of my aims is just to be a bit more transparent in terms of what I can be transparent with in all sides of music in terms of both mental health and just like the inner workings of stuff. Because I feel like there's a lot of stuff. People don't need to be, keep on making the same mistakes or I feel like people will benefit or I feel as if I have um, something to kind of pass on and give to people in terms of understanding just dynamics within music, mental health, how things work, how to be able to um, achieve and create balance and manage things that you can manage because the thing about music is, or just with arts in general, there's a lot of intangibles and stuff that you can't control but what you can control when you have the autonomy and believe and know I can do this or this can make me feel a particular way then it's like grasping onto that, holding onto that and then kind of using that to create momentum in terms of feeling better and not feeling that you're at odds with your art. 
How did you then get into DJing? Were you on Instagram? Were you were you seeing all these optics, or was it more organic? Like, give us a little introduction to you, who you are. Yeah, I'm from Bristol originally. When I was growing up, wow, makes me feel old, but I'm not even that old. I'm only 29. I didn't feel like Instagram was around when, or maybe it was, but it was like just the blue. It was just like squares and like orange heart. But yeah, I was 15, 16. I was making music with my cousins and we were all in a group together. And then there was actually this really good, it was an organization um, which basically allowed us to, we got the chance to like, make music with foreign beggars and have like a DJ kind of lesson and like, understand um, production and DJing. That really, really helped. Um, I just was making music then, moved to London for university and then kind of was that cool I'm gonna kind of pursue music and that was how it went and then yeah I began kind of chasing that music dream or trying to achieve what I thought or what I seemed to be success and here I am now I mean again I feel like what I saw as success when I was 18 even what I saw as success at 21 it's only like maybe the last year or so where I've got a real grounding and understanding of what I want for my career or kind of understanding how to achieve the long game I feel like as I got into music or I didn't really understand the dynamics. I was like, oh yeah, I wanted to be successful. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but oh no, I didn't know when I didn't know when I was going to be successful. But I knew that I wanted to do it. I knew I was going to do it. But then it was finding out then with myself, cool, what is success? Cool. So this is what I think success is. How do I achieve it? But then when I achieve success, that's then this is when it, for artists, I believe, or in my personal experience, what happened was I achieved success. Mm -hmm then you feel that like kind of numb and that lowness because you're like, cool, I've achieved it, so what next? And you can keep on putting targets and targets and targets. You might keep hitting them, hitting them, hitting them. And you're like, ah, oh. and it's like, cool, so I want this much, I want this much, I want this much, I want this, I want this, I want that. You get that, and then what does it do? It doesn't do anything. You don't feel any different from when you didn't have those things. So that's where in terms of like, again, there's a lot of factors for that and a lot of things that I think other people experience a lot of things are personalized to my experience, but yeah, I kind of, I had my journey. I've got there. I feel like in a really good space and quite a balanced space now in terms of where I'm at, how I feel, my like kind of interactions with music and just feeling at ease. You touched on the moment of success. What was that moment where you were like, ah, like that's it? I think for me, what kind of, um, I always had like three or four or five year plans. So things that came with malleable. So I was like, ah, oh, if I got this, then the next thing would be to do that. Like one thing I aim for, like at the very beginning, I was like, oh cool, like I want a record deal, like that's a gauge of like success, blah, blah, blah. but the record deal was like one of the worst things that, that ever happened to me. That's what I mean in terms of when you attain certain stuff and then you get like, like maybe six months past after the fact, like that doesn't really mean anything or that's not actually a gauge. It's maybe tick something in terms of cool, you're making progress, but it shouldn't be something to like be like successful or, or like attain to. Um, and again, it just kind of, it changed and changed, it morphed. So then after that, I was like, oh, okay, cool. I mean, I achieved success in terms of like how well Labrick Grove and stuff did. And I felt like I was able to like change. I had a song which actually changed my life. I was able to like do things which I wasn't able to do before, like live by myself, do particular things. But then it's like, oh, cool, I've done that. So then what's next? Mm. So it's like that whole mentality comes from a thing of reconciling and then being understanding that it's a journey. Like there's not like one particular stop where it's like, cool, you're here. It's like it's ongoing and like knowing that it's fluid. So for me in terms of it's just been reconciling that and then saying, you know, I shouldn't have particular things. I should have benchmarks, cool. But actually things which is success and goal. Success is actually being able to have longevity within music and actually being able to sustain a career. You know, things will always go up and down. Things are always that waver. But if you're able to still be doing what you're doing, 
still have a passion for it. Something that jumps out to me when you talk about like longevity and being in music and doing what you want to do is like the community and the connection that brings. Mm-hmm. And often when we look at success, we're looking at like metric measures or like numbers and stuff. But really, it's like the people that you meet and like the connections that almost that you bring along and you're able to forge. And I wondered what that felt like moving from Bristol and then going to London and like creating those connections. What was that feeling like? Like, was that a feeling of success looking back now, being able to forge those connections? When I was 18, I moved to London. I had one of my first shows. It was at Riven Factory, which was when Whitechapel doesn't exist anymore. It was Spooky back to back DOK, Phase Mielke back to back. Oh, it was Phase Mielke back to back. It was Elijah back to back Skillium. It was a mad, mad lineup. I was playing that night, right? And this is the time when you guys had to have CDs in the club and stuff. So I came in, I had my CDs. CDs. Yeah, CDs. I'd written down like the BPMs oh. on the CDs and stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Bare things scratch. Blah, blah, blah. I put my CD in. The room was mad dark. So I was like, okay, cool. Let me just eject. I ejected the CD. The music like stopped. It went completely dead. I felt so embarrassed in that moment. That was my first like big gig. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I messed up in front of all these people. Blah, 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 blah. I was 19. So that was, like, yeah, that was 10 years ago, right? So for me, what a real full circle moment was, I did that. I went to cable, I saw Eli, um, Butters back-to-back, um, with Boy Better Now, I saw Joker back-to-back, Swindle, had all these things, I saw that embarrassment. But then for me, to then be able to, again, 10 years down the line, I, like, I speak to Elijah like, every now and again, like, we probe each other's brains. That's someone who, when I was 18, 19, looked to him and said, cool, this is something that I kind of attained to in terms of, I could tell that his mind, even then he wasn't doing the yellow squares, but I could tell the mind, the, his mind and the way that he worked was different. It was kind of like something that I kind of wanted to achieve. That was what I thought was a kind of reasonable gauge of success in terms of having someone who at the time I didn't think could be my role model or be someone that I could kind of look to or be even have as a peer. But I feel like now, yeah, like again, that's 10 years. But then people would be like, wow, you've been in like, music 10 years and stuff. But that's what I mean about kind of the slog. Like everything that people think has happened over now in the last two or so years, that's all been a process and a journey of hard work. And I think one thing that will kind of benefit a lot of people within the music industry or especially young people growing up in the music industry is understanding that journey and not understanding that everything, like the microwave culture of thinking, cool, this has to blow or this is these small moments or small fads create massive, massive moments because, okay, they do in like in isolation or like maybe one in every like thousand or million moments, but it takes time to actually build something. Nothing, nothing is built overnight. Like. I think something that you spoke about, like the relationships that you forge with people and balance and staying connected with yourself, like that is really having like a network around you and a community around you helps you to do that, right? And something that I wanted to touch on was loneliness. And you spoke about like the importance of relationships and forging that. But what does it feel like when you're outside of that comfort zone, when you're touring, when you're maybe like not in the home spaces you're talking about or not bumping into people? Like how how do you like navigate that when you're abroad and you're not you're unable to like maybe lean on those relationships in real life? I feel like one big thing that I think the music industry can kind of change or kind of the perception in terms of like DJs and artists is that I think everyone should just be handled with a bit more care and kind of understanding, you know, just because cool X, Y, and Z is a DJ or they're doing this or they're being paid this amount and they're going all these places, they're not, they're no different to someone who comes to the show or might be feeling depressed before they come to the show. There's been many times I've been depressed and gone and played the show and like smiled to like thousands of people and been like, all right, but it's no different from the person who's watching me. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like in terms of, in terms of loneliness, how I've kind of managed it, because there's been many, there's been many occasions where I've been, uh, for example, I remember doing my, I did my conductor's crypt tour, so that was 2021. 
I remember doing it right. I had it was all night long, so that six seven hour sets. I had like thirteen cities in the space of like maybe six seven weeks. So obviously that's an intense kind of schedule. I said to myself, "Cool, like I didn't want to really." Do, I, it was after the pandemic and stuff as well. But I was I stopped kind of that drinking at shows. I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna take a break and like kind of discipline myself. Managed to do all those shows of like no drinking alcohol and stuff. But it was like it was intense and it was a lot, and I felt very alone in those moments. That was when it kind of like. For me, I find it difficult because then I kind of I had this obligation to feel like I had to work hard and debase myself for other people to then like that's success because if I'm working hard and I'm busy, duh, 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 that's me like not only pleasing, not only settling my own kind of doubt or shame in terms of not working, but also that to the outset and optics if it looks good. But again, that just created more loneliness. And for me, it kind of went down again with other things and kind of contributing and stuff. It kind of then it brought me to like my low point in terms of feeling completely like burnt out and like. I've struggled with depression and stuff before, um, but really, like that was when I hit like a different, like a different kind of low in terms of cool. I didn't even feel anything. I actually, felt like a numbness to kind of being like, oh, this is fine. Like this is okay. So for me, beginning of 2022, I went to rehab for about two months. For me, what I managed to do was kind of then gain this whole new perspective in terms of balance and understanding not just what success is, but how to actually um, balance that like, work and life and also loneliness because at the end of the day regardless of any support system and stuff a lot of the time when people feel alone or people feel like low it's only i have to know that i have the autonomy to get myself out of the moment it's not going to be on my mom or my dad or my sister or my partner or my tour manager or someone there i do have to remember like it's very hard to but i managed to get to a point where i could remember cool i'm in control and i have the autonomy to kind of combat loneliness, the things that I kind of have in place for myself is just environment. Environment always cultivates change, I feel, for me. So it's allowing myself to be, when I'm in a particular environment, knowing, cool, what's going to allow me, to, what's going to nudge me in a direction to do something which will benefit me and what will nudge me into a position where I might not feel so good. That's why, for example, like when I don't like drink at shows and stuff, that alone is just there. Because if like, my rider's there, even though I don't drink, I might feel tempted just if the rider's there. That's just a simple thing. For me, just having like my water, my ginger shots and my lemon, even though I got lapped that a lot, it's like, for me, it's like, I'm fine. I wake up in the morning, again, not shaming and stuff, but I don't feel that kind of anxiety. I don't feel that tiredness. And then I'm able to go, go about my day without feeling any kind of like lag. I wanted to touch on the main three things that you learned from rehab, yeah. just because hearing what you said is so relatable for, I think, a lot of people who will be listening, especially for myself, someone who suffers and um, navigates depression as well. And like, not having access to those resources, like people will probably be listening like, what did you learn? Like, yeah, yeah. Can, you, can you let us know like what, what those top three things are? So it's kind of mad because for me, that, that whole experience was like life-changing because one of my kind of like goals, see like for me, like I can actually say this in terms of what my success and stuff is because of the experience I had there, right? For me, in terms of like a goal um, and like success, like you can date them right down this moment in terms of like, cool, I've set this in stone. So for me, it's kind of, I want to be able to create something. I feel like giving back and a responsibility in terms of looking after artists or creatives is being able to give them the tools to understand that work-life balance and not kind of fall into the trap of needing to overwork themselves and oversaturate themselves and just like exhaust themselves. For me, I had, maybe when this comes out, I'll actually share like my recovery plan that I made. So visually I'll describe it and it will probably make sense as I, like when I show it to you and stuff. Actually based off my, when I mixed my cover, so it was a seesaw, right? And I had a seesaw of like work and life and I had two decks. On one deck, there was work. On one deck, there was life. There was me in the middle, That's there it. was a mixer. So on the, at the top right-hand corner, right, I had like, this was like, because I think as a DJ or as a music producer, it's very hard to have like very set schedules for me anyway. 
I'd like, again, it's a luxury and a privilege, but it's quite busy. There's sometimes where I'll be in the country, sometimes I won't be, sometimes I won't be able to do particular things. In my set times, I had like three, I had like four back-to-back things that I make sure I do. Two hours outside like, every single day, journaling every single day, creativeness. And I think it was that like, gym or working out, basically. The gym or working out one I kind of struggled with, but I've made sure like ever since... So I came back from, I came back in like March last year and I've only, there's only been like four or five days where I've not done two hours outside bar like when I've been ill and stuff. Um, so that was the set times. So then in the decks, right? So in the work deck, back to like the CD days. So I've got like, what I've got different tunes. So on different tunes, I do all these different things. So cool, let's say in work, it would be setting boundaries, knowing when to say no, track one. Two, like for example, for me, like I, I, find, it quite, I find it quite hard to work at night like I, I just don't concentrate like I, I, so I put day sessions I put all these little things basically which then were, were tracks or things that could allow me these tunes I'd play so I can feel good but the, the issue is is that if one tune doesn't work cool you just go to the next one and I had like maybe 15 tunes in that so on the other thing I've got like life and it's like setting boundaries particular things with like family particular things with making time for stuff particular things with holistic things or like health things and I had that all there and again like if one track doesn't work cool you just go to the next one and then the mixer was in the middle and it was just about balancing and like fading between the two knowing when which when which one works and then on the side I had like all the things like peer pressure or self-gratification or like validation and that was alcohol and that's what you're trying to get away from the decks and that's like the insecure juice so that was like the stuff there and trying to keep that away so it doesn't touch the decks and then even if it does touch the decks cool you've got like, the towel and the towel was like the like kind of emergency things of like therapy blah 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 and that keeps it like the insecure juice and then cool you can like just um, work with the tunes again and that was kind of how i kind of achieved my own kind of balance in terms of understanding cool this and then that if that makes sense but again that's quite personalized towards me but i feel like i know in my head i can kind of make it there could be like a kind of square peg fits all thing in terms of allowing people to kind of understand the push and the pull between work and life what they think they should be where they think they're at and then reconciling it and then achieving that balance because ironically even though it's a kind of a cliche i think that's that's what it's really about to be honest it's about achieving that balance so you just don't feel at odds with things because i feel like it's so easy again going back to what we were saying at the beginning in terms of like instagram and just like how things are people see particular things i think they should be aiming for stuff but it's like that's why i feel like i feel like a bit of shame or a bit of guilt in terms of not being completely honest because there's been times i've been like oh yeah this is so sick oh yeah this is great or like it looks like i'm having a time in my life when really like I wasn't, or I was in one of the, my lowest places, do you know what I mean? So then that's why I feel like this is like really good because in times it creates that transparency and starts a conversation. Because even if like someone like listens to this and doesn't feel 80% of what I'm feeling, there's something that will resonate with them and be like, oh cool, you know, he spoke about that so I can speak about this and just let other people know. Because for all I know, I remember during that pandemic period or maybe post like 2021 speaking to DJs, there wasn't one person I spoke to who wasn't like burnt out or not tired. But we were all posting the same stuff on like Instagram, like, cool, oh, I love this show. Oh, yeah, it was so sick. Blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, I think we just need to kind of, that kind of lip service, I feel like we'd all do better for ourselves and everyone else if we just kind of open up the conversation and just kind of like, just be transparent about it. We spoke about your journey into the music industry. You've been doing this for 10 years. Um, you spoke about success. Now recently, like the recovery plan that you've created. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you feel like the attitudes have changed in the music industry towards like mental health, towards topics like loneliness, like anxiety, performance anxiety that come up? Or do you feel like artists themselves have become like more outspoken or, or have you noticed a change at all, if any? I think it's difficult because I feel as if there's a lot of lip service. I think like the conversation is more common and I think people speak about mental health a lot more. But I think is there real work or action or tangible change that's been made in like the last like five or six years? I don't really think so personally. I think more could be done. 
Um, I think we all kind of have a responsibility, to be honest. Um, and that's why I don't look at anyone or blame anyone or feel as if, um, you know, some people see it as a duty, some people see it as an obligation. For me, I see it as something that I want to do and feel like passionate about. What changes would you like to see if you could like put one law in place to change like something in the nightlife economy? The thing is, I'm not sure. I couldn't give you a law. Mm. I couldn't give you um, a practice. But I think for me, it comes from going back to a duty of care and actually, you know, thinking about um, how someone else is feeling and just kind of treating people with a bit more care and understanding stuff. Going back to loneliness and stuff as well, something that's very difficult because I feel as if the black experience in particular is difficult because when you're coming out of it, you're in a white gaze and it feels like this kind of double-edged sword is that you don't want to exist or celebrate stuff under the kind of guise of I'm overcoming some kind of oppression or I'm here, da da da, da. Mm. But you know, a lot of the shows that I personally play, it's a lot of white people in the crowd. So that again, as another, there's another faceted layer of loneliness. Do you know what I mean? But again, in terms of like recentering and going back to one thing that I think that could change, I think it's just kind of, if we can all be a bit more transparent, a bit more open as a community, if we're really a community of musicians and people who are all like-minded, then we all have a responsibility to each other to kind of lift each other up, but also check in. In terms of like mental health and stuff or, you know, loneliness or sometimes people just like say stuff and they don't need any advice. They don't need anything of like, cool, go and do this or cool, go and do that. They just want to like someone to listen. Mm -hmm. And that can, sometimes that can just be enough. You know, sometimes on tour, just get lonely. I'd be like, oh, you know, I speak to someone and then I feel better, I speak to myself, I feel better. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it just goes back to the whole duty of care. And I think just looking out for one each other. I know that sounds like really like cliche and stuff, but I just feel as if not enough is done. It's just lip service at the moment. People don't think, cool, um, how, is this how, is that, how is this person really feeling? Or how is this person looking after really feeling? Or people don't ask enough questions. I think people just accept stuff at face value. They don't really think, okay, you know, what's the reason behind that? Or like, you know, how they're feeling kind of thing. I completely agree with that. I think I always say it's like the way you navigate the relationships that you have in your life in your small circle because if you're moving with a duty of care then those people are more the energy than to, it yeah, spreads it you know spreads. And then, yeah exactly yeah period um and just in the business side of things i think working for, at sony I, that's where i really saw a disconnect on like yeah that duty of care when like money is involved and yeah there's deadlines you know and like it's 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 insane and i think that's what's a shame though mm. because you know, there becomes this whole, there's a thing that, you know, as the stakes get higher and it's high pressure and stuff, you should be able to deal with, um, you should be able to deal with mental health yeah, stuff. That because you're, just, yeah. And that's what I mean in terms of, you know, because that, that, that isn't exclusive just to working in a corporate environment. When you're a DJ or when you're at big, why should you be tired? Why should you be complaining? Why You should take a photo with me because yeah. you're here, you're in this moment. You know what I mean? Like people just, because they feel entitled, they feel like because you're, they don't see you as the same. And yeah. that's where it comes to the duty of care and remembering cool me and you are just alike yeah or just we just have different roles but we all feel the same we all speak the same we all have the same kind of emotions which revolve around within us um so yeah i feel like definitely in terms of like a in a 100 in like a corporate thing as well that the mental health kind of conversation trickles into that but then there's actual tangible change in terms of like again a duty of care to everyone and making sure everyone feels um safe um and even when they're overworked then still have the tools to you know not feel judged for then opening up about feeling pressure and then being able to kind of continue in a safe space without kind of being judged. I think that's what, it, I think again, it comes down to like stigma and stuff as well. Before you go, I also just wanted to quickly touch on the point you made on the black experience and the lack of the connection between the audience and the artist. Cause I've never thought about it in that sense. And like how you can actually feel lonely with the 
the disconnect that you might feel with the audiences that you're playing to, which is a very unique experience that white people or non, um, non-black people or non-black and brown people not experience and people of color, it's like exclusive to them. So could you, could you touch more about like that feeling and like whether that started? <laughs> how <long we> got? <laughs> <laughs> and also how that has maybe changed as you've played bigger shows like abroad, touring? I think I go back to one thing for me, which is really like struck, struck a chord with me is in terms of, you know, okay, Williams' conversation that she had in terms of, I've never seen that, like white people aren't even involved in the conversation of trying to like. Are you talking about the comments on the RA post? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what she said in terms of, you know, white artists and white DJs aren't like, they never push forward or they don't en masse kind of talk about the black artists or the origins. It's always black people having to remind or then, again, like I was saying to you in terms of coming back from existing in this place of like rising up from oppression or, you know, kind of having to, yeah, just kind of explain myself. And that in itself is mentally exhausting. For me, it's interesting. It's an ongoing journey. I feel like I've become more and more hyper aware of it as I've got like older and become and seen, played bigger crowds and understand, understood stuff more. I think another thing which is really important about, which also plays into this really like a lot and isn't touched on, it goes back to access and like money and how much shows cost again like it's very hard for people to afford to go to shows and the people who can afford to go to shows will often line like a white demographic like that's just that's unfortunately how it is you know what i mean for me i just yeah i feel hyper aware i watch many things i watch many djs play like lots of like um ragged vocals to like a white crowd the white crowd not really know what's going on i see a lot of white artists and djs you there's a difference between like appreciating and appropriating and I think there's not I don't even really think it's a fine line I think that's what's been interesting that's what's been interesting to observe and I've observed that more and more and more and more especially within dance and electronic music Elijah has that post about uh, like what would actually happen if black people were renumer- or black artists were renumerated for all the stuff that they've kind of like created and that's what I mean in terms of you know all of us have used an Aaliyah sample used a Brandy sample like fine you know what I mean I think when it becomes an issue is that it's the appreciating and appropriating part, which is difficult or, or like I find hard to reconcile because I know that some people or my opinion is that I don't believe they're appreciators. I believe they're appropriators. So it's very, very difficult. But, you know, for me, all I can do and in terms of like balance and retaining my own kind of mental health and happiness and stuff is that I try not to focus too much or get too wrapped up in feeling angry or disaffected by it. All I can do is educate, try and have good conversations with people um, where I can try and inform and then go from there. But yeah, it's a very difficult and it's an interesting, it's, it's very, yes, it's hard to navigate because I think a lot of artists and DJs didn't have, like, if you look at that 20, 20 or 30 or so years ago, the demographics of people that went to shows is very different. Whereas if now, or the, what I experience in terms of there are a lot of electronic shows I, I, I play, the audience is mainly white so it's very hard to it's difficult but you know i just try i try and have my own peace and kind of understanding and you know reaching out to other like artists of color and black artists and stuff as well and like having that solidarity and again just checking in because again i'm sure like a lot of us feel similar or feel the same but you know we're not able to speak about it absolutely and as and you talked about like like protecting your peace and like black artists especially should be doing that and like it's always put on black people to talk about certain issues about race and yeah and it's it's exhausting and tiring so i agree with that like speak when you can and have capacity but also um there's no like shame and guilt in like just 
just navigating life in general it's already hard enough um, so shout out to okay williams for actually saying that you know if you have capacity as a white person as a white artist like help help out yeah 100 <laughs> speak on it i also just wanted to finally ask if there was anyone listening who's who's younger who might want to do the same things as you who's trying to get into the music industry product what would um what a piece of advice would you have for them and then what would you say to your 16 year old self in terms of people trying to get into it or trying to get into the music industry or like emulate, become a DJ, become an artist. I feel like, again, kind of like in terms of what I said about the conversation is the journey, appreciate the journey. Don't think that everything is set and things on way, be malleable to certain things. You might grow up thinking, cool, I want to be a producer. I want to be a DJ. You might end up being like an A&R and that's completely fine. But like, don't like, it's okay to be multifaceted. It's okay to like play your position. You don't have to be you, like the main character you think you, you, you're going to be doesn't have to be the main character at the end of the story. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like that's one thing in terms of appreciating the journey. Things now are very saturated. So honing in on your craft, having something that's unique and being able to develop that with care and just kind of like being careful in terms of where your output is, where you're outputting stuff. That's one thing I'd say. And I would say just draw from a multitude of influences. A lot of the time people will ask me, oh, you know, I'm getting into garage or like I'm getting into like bass music. Like what should I do? How do I listen to you? What should I do? And I think one key thing I say is just, I would just draw from everything. I wouldn't, it's cool to understand what's going on currently and like take influences from the top artists of the time or who you like listen to or who's hot. But I would say just expand your horizons and try and draw from everything outside of that context. Because then when you're drawing from outside of that context, you're accessing kind of new things and new grooves and new information and new kind of techniques and new things that can help you build something that's unique from the four or five artists that you love and that you're listening to. So that would be that would be my advice there. And so as advice to my 16-year-old self, I'd say just hold tight. Arsenal will get good again. That's one thing I'd say. <laughs> I'd also say just hold on to the journey. It's gonna get tough. It's gonna get low. There's gonna be highs. You're gonna have no money. You're gonna have some money. You might have a lot of money, but you're gonna have no money again. But just remember to play the long, play the long game. Don't play the short and enjoy it. Thanks to all our contributors, Sharisi and Conductor for sharing their stories today. And thank you so much for listening. It's been so insightful to hear about all the ways that loneliness can manifest in the music industry, where loneliness comes from and how we as a community can try and combat it together. The full archive of our collaboration with Black Minds Matter is available for you to take in now and you can find them on the RA website. Thank you for listening to this episode of Black Minds Matter. Special thanks to Vanessa Maria, Sharice C., Conducta, Amy Van Baren for coordinating from RE Community Partnerships, Hubert Spangler for designing this episode's artwork, and for the team at Black Minds Matter for putting this collaboration together. In this episode, you heard Wrecking Baseline from Sharice C. and Whip It from Conducta. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the RA Exchange and listen to our full archive of conversations on ra.co or on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. If you have ideas for guests you would like to hear on the podcast or stories you'd like to share, please send us an email at exchange at ra.co. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, take care. <laughs>